This week on Punch Mountain, the future of law enforcement is back and he's kinder than ever. Boo! Take a hit of Nuke because dead or alive, you're coming with us to watch Robocop 2. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by part man, part machine, all cop, what? David Hada. Dead or alive, you're hanging out with me for a couple hours. How are you? <laughs> I don't know you're a cop. I know you're a cop. Why don't I say it like that? I scrambled so hard for that. Golly, off and running. How are you, Mac? I am doing I ate a little stressed, man. A little stressed. Tell me all about it. Get on the couch. Oh, thank you. This couch is stressing me out. I hate it. No. Um, you know, just like crunched. Just feel like I've been running behind. I'm not gonna tell you the last time I showered, David. Mm. But it was not today. I'll say that much. Okay. I got you. But David, I'm excited to talk to you about Robot Cop Dose, aka Robot Cop 2. Yeah, someone's got to do it, I suppose. So why not us? And we'll have the most fun doing it. We'll be the most fair about it. We'll sell it as best we can. We're going to love the hell out of this movie, aren't we, Mac? Robocop 2 sucks. No. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing, David. Uh, this is was, this was my pick. And sometimes with certain franchises or certain directors or certain actors, we're going to try and do like the best one. Like, for example, we didn't do the first Raid movie, Raid Redemption, we did Raid 2 because that was higher rated because it's like, if we're going to watch a Raid movie, uh, let, why not do the best argument for a Raid movie? Now, I mean, ideally, we, we want to get to everything, right? Sure. Because you know, there's a lot of like movies that aren't necessarily the, the best one of the franchise I'm still excited to see. I love the first RoboCop movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And I think it's clearly the best RoboCop of the franchise. However, just because I hadn't seen it in a while, I was more excited to do RoboCop 2. And so I was like, David, can we please do RoboCop 2? Pretty, pretty, please. He's like, all right. And David, we might have made a mistake. No, this isn't a mistake. It's just a completely different experience. This is like somewhere in the neighborhood of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, where if you think you're getting more of the first movie, you're in for a disappointment. But if you are appreciating the second movie for what it is, you're still in for a disappointment, but less so. There's definitely things that I liked about this movie. Well, David, what about you? Opening thoughts. What is your history with RoboCop 2 and RoboCop in general. Robot Cops. <laughs> oh, Robot Cops? Oh, I got a rich history with those. Uh, but RoboCop, the property, uh, I don't really have an attachment to this. This was this was always one of those things that I felt kind of divided us. Your love of RoboCop versus my indifference of RoboCop. Like, I just never got attached to it as a kid. Uh, it was always just this weird, hyper-violent property that just I was not in tune with. I think, you know, it wasn't until we did a run of it for Master Pancake where I finally watched it and at least developed an appreciation for it. I still wouldn't like run out to, I didn't scramble to watch RoboCop 2 or 3 or the, or the Joel Kinnaman one. So I kind of just left RoboCop where it was. I think a lot of that had to do with just my indifference toward Paul Verhoeven. Because uh, he Paul Verhoeven, that was the name of the, the man who directed the first RoboCop, right? That is correct. Yes, he directed the first RoboCop, directed Total Recall, directed Starship Troopers. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a bit of a cheeky guy. He likes being ironic and sarcastic and, and cynical one thing he's not is just uh, to the point with anything. And so that always bothered me. So I kind of just stayed away from RoboCop by association. So, yeah, when you re when you asked us to do this one, I was like, sure, let's do it. I, I came into it fresh, like, you know, with a completely open mind. And it was 
fun. It was more fun than I expected, uh, but it was also surprisingly frustrating. Yeah, this movie had its moments. Man, Paul Verhoeven, imagine like Starship Troopers from the director of RoboCop and Showgirls. What? (laughs) (laughs) One person did both? But yeah, the first RoboCop movie, and, and I think there's a story about Paul Verhoeven like getting the script, and he's Dutch, so I'll attempt to do his accent. He's probably like, ah, this script is no good. And then I guess <laughs> and threw the script across the room, and I think his wife started reading it. And I mean, the story might be inaccurate. And she was like, you should actually read this script. It, it's, it's pretty good. So RoboCop, the first one, definitely feels like a Paul Verhoeven movie. And as we got into RoboCop 2, I started to wonder like, oh, maybe I don't need a RoboCop 2. But then there's some things that uh, I changed my mind about. But it, you you mentioned a hyper-violent franchise. David, I remember there was a, a poster in my elementary school with RoboCop. And it was like, littering is a cop-out. And it's like, wow. I, you know, as a kid, I was just like, cool, this robot cop wants me to throw my rappers in the trash. And now after watching this movie, get that poster the fuck out of here. Jesus Christ. That movie is violent, David. Well, I think we've talked about this before where it was like... You know, oh, I think we talked about this with Terminator 2, where it was another movie that was like, it's R-rated, but it was marketed directly towards kids. Like, this was, you know, RoboCop 2 was around the same time that they started doing the RoboCop cartoon. And so with that, it's going to come RoboCop toys, a RoboCop lunchbox, and you're like, did you guys see the first movie? But David, the other reason I wanted to see RoboCop 2 is because the script was by Frank Miller, a comic book creator who definitely has his uh, problems some of his work but however there's some of his work that i am a, a big fan of and david i th- i think i only saw this movie maybe once or twice like edited for tv i remember one time when i was a kid and i was not allowed to see r-rated movies when i was younger and like robocop 2 is going to be on tv and i remember telling my parents so we have to be home at eight so i can watch robocop 2 my parents are like we definitely won't care about this and so <laughs> i remember watching the first half of the movie in like a macy's because yeah, we went to like oh. a mall and i was like can we leave the mall and they're like no and so uh, I think I saw maybe the first half of RoboCop 2 and then maybe the last 20 minutes. But yeah, David, from all the research I've done on this movie, which is not very much, everyone fucking hated this script. The studio called it unfilmable. Apparently Frank Miller, because he wanted to do like, you know, figure out what Hollywood was about because he was just doing comic books at the time. He showed up to the set every day and he saw like uh, the director, Irvin Kirshner, who also directed what? Uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. And so... He like hated the script. He like rip out pages and curse it like right in front of Frank Miller. And they hired on another writer. If everyone hated the script so much, why did they fucking make it? It's just money. Like this movie, you know, you know, if you really want to get critical about it, this movie is a parody of itself because this, you know, the characters in this movie are so money hungry. They don't care about quality. And like this movie really was, okay, June 1987. It's a hit. All right, let's start making the sequel in July of 87. Like they really just wanted to crank something out regardless of how it turned out. I think you're absolutely right, David, because I feel like they had RoboCop 2 money like scheduled on their, you know, forms, intake forms or whatever, their ledger. And so like, oh, we need to, we need this money at this point. Let's just film it. Also, if they hated it so much, why did Frank Miller write RoboCop 3? Like the movie 22 Jump Street? Sure. Where they were like, hey, uh, just do exactly what you did the last time. Like it's, it, they're openly making fun of the fact that it's a sequel. You're right. This movie does that too, because they try to make new models of RoboCop. And they're like, ladies and gentlemen, RoboCop 2. And so RoboCop 2 is a title of this movie, but it's also the name of one of the characters. <laughs> yeah. So I could not find the original Frank Miller script online. However, it was adapted into a comic book. And I have ordered that comic, and I will try to read it before the inventory episode. You know, And at first, because I like Frank Miller's work so much, I was like, oh, I bet this script is actually genius. They just didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. 
I read a couple of blurbs. This script may be trash, so we'll I'll find out. But on the surface, like the way that the RoboCop first movie used like snippets of because RoboCop David, I think, takes place in like 2043 or something like that. The the not too distant future. Which I guess for when nineteen when did the first one come out? 85? 87. 87? Yeah. Yeah. The 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 semi-distant future. But the first movie did such a great job like showing media clips of like the news and commercials to really like paint that world, like what's going on at the time. And that is definitely something that, you know, Frank Miller would do in uh, Batman the Dark Knight Returns. He'd have a lot of like talking head TV shows and TV characters that really uh, fleshed out the world of future Gotham City. Um, But David, I have a question for you before we lose everyone to all these goddamn, (laughs) goddamn nerdy commentary. Both RoboCop movies take place in the city of Detroit, albeit the future version of Detroit where things suck. Or I guess the technology is semi better. I don't know. So in the first RoboCop movie, it was actually filmed in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know what Detroit looks like in the future, it's modern-day Dallas. <laughs> RoboCop 2, they did the same thing, except it was filmed in Houston. So David, if you are from Detroit and someone's like, oh, in the future, your city will look like Dallas or look like Houston, which one's a better future? I'm going with Houston because the, the Detroit of the future in RoboCop 2 is a lot more desolate than the Detroit of the future in RoboCop 1. Because, you know, the whole reason they used Houston for the production of it was because at night, downtown is empty. And in the 90s, and probably still to this day, you know, once 5 o'clock rolls around, everyone gets the hell out of downtown Houston. So they just had the run of the place. And, like, you can really feel that in this movie. You can feel like there's not really anybody around for blocks. Uh, So there's more of a sense of dread in, in the Dallas version of RoboCop, more so than Houston. It's just, it's apathy. And that's my kind of town. I'm not talking about the movie versions. I'm talking about actual modern day. Like if someone told you, David, that in the future, your current city, Denver, Colorado, that's Uh where David lives. Everyone to get him. (laughs) It's going to look like modern day Dallas or modern day Houston. Which one would you dread more? I would dread the modern day Dallas more. Oh, (laughs) same same answer. Okay. The (laughs) post-apocalyptic Williams-Sonoma. Houston's real big, though. I, I have a lot of fun. I mean, Houston's got a fucking opera house. It's got an arts district. You know what I mean? It's so diverse. You can find stuff to do. Dallas just all kind of feels the same. And no offense to Dallas, because at least future Dallas doesn't have a future Joel Osteen living there, <laughs> locking his doors and people get flooded out of their homes, just like Jesus taught him. Yay. Hey, David, before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions, right? If you search RoboCop 2 on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So let's do some quickly provided answers. David, why is RoboCop 2 rated R? RoboCop 2 is rated R for its chilling depiction of the triangle shirtwaist fire. Mac, why Peter Weller wasn't in RoboCop 3? (laughs) Expertly worded question, internet users. Why wasn't he in RoboCop 3? Because of RoboCop 2. David, is RoboCop 2 a satire? No, it is actually a shot-for-shot remake of another movie, Follow That Bird. Mac, why did they change RoboCop? David, RoboCop didn't change, we changed. I mean, if you think about it, RoboCop is really all the criminals we murdered along the way. That feels like a 12-year-old's first Google search, like, why did they change RoboCop? That might have been mine. Like, if you <laughs> let me use the internet when I was 13, I'd be like, when is RoboCop 2 going to be on TV? <laughs> That's what I would, I would 100% search that. Oh, man, before we travel to the near future to watch a robot cop fight capitalism, let's stay in the present with two friends who've lost to capitalism a long time ago. It's a friendship check-in. David Hada, how are you for reals? Broke as a joke, my man. Capitalism's doing its magic. Um, not much to report here. Just kind of, uh, I went to sleep one day after we finished recording, and then I woke up another day, and we're recording again. So we have not missed much. David, that's fucked up. 
<laughs> what about the people in your house? Do they? Who's this now? What's up? <laughs> did, did no one check on you? They know to let me sleep. They know I'm a real grouch. They know if you wake me up on Wednesday, forget it. Yeah, I've been uh, like real just behind on a lot of things. And I took a couple of days off work coming up. Oh, no, no, I'm not going anywhere, David. Just to sleep and uh, finish up a couple lingering pieces of like busy work. And I needed two days for it. Buddy, I was looking at my inbox the other day and I was like, you know what? If I could just have like a day off to where I don't plan anything. I just sort of let the chores happen. I could get this inbox knocked out. I could get my desk organized. Like, no, I'm right there with you. I'm about ready to take vacation days to organize my life. David, because of how familiar I am with RoboCop 1, when you said buddy, just like Peter Weller in that movie, I thought you were going to follow it up with buddy, I think you're slime, which is a great Peter Weller line. I'll tell you what does cheer me up, David, is occasionally we get some people giving some pretty decent feedback to the show. Did you know someone created a Facebook group? For Punch Mountain people, and I was not that someone. Stop it. Oh my God, a chill went through my body. I hate that. I, I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but like, tell me more about this, Mac. Well, I, I haven't, I only went there once and, and had nine people, and I think the only post was group was created. But you know what? I appreciate it. That's wild. Yeah, because currently there's no Punch Mountain Facebook page. We might have to make one just because uh, clearly there's a, there's a high demand for it. But no. I know the name of the person who did it. It escapes me at the moment. I'll thank you next episode, friend. But Dave, we also got a uh, review, right? Oh, sure. That's right. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me pull that up. Yeah. While you're getting that, I just want to remind people that every month we make a donation to a different nonprofit. And you, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will add a dollar to that donation. And look, if there's another place where you can leave a review, another platform, let us know. Because as far as I can tell, I, there's not really like, I don't think you can leave a written review on Spotify. If I'm wrong, let me know. Because then we'll heck, it won't just be Apple Podcasts. You can, you know, add it to uh, review to other platforms. We'll include that in the uh, donation tally as well. Okay, what does it say? Sure thing. This one is titled Bought Out to Bankrupt Mac and David. And it is from Tex D. Thank you, Tex D. They say, missing the mascot wedding show? Feel like you don't watch enough action movies? Think Passenger 57 is the greatest action film of all time, but not sure if you're objective enough to understand its true place in the definitive ranking of action movies? Or you just want to listen to a wholesome friendship through the filter of excellent action movie reviews? The Mountain beckons. The answer to those first two questions is no, Dave. <laughs> I mean, but the last one, <laughs> a wholesome friendship through the filter. Yes, thank you. That is very nice of you and a, and a very sweet review. Thank you, Tex D. Very cute and cool. Thank you so much. David, should we go ahead and enter this fictional world of Robot Cop 2? It's your and my move, creep. We're going in. In case any listeners are wholly unfamiliar with the movie we're about to watch, David, could you read the back of the box description for Robot Cop 2? Just a level set. Affirmative. The sizzling sequel to 1987's sci-fi blockbuster brings back the future of law enforcement, Robocop, to face his greatest challenge ever. Peter Weller returns as the half-man, half-machine police officer. This time to rid the lawless streets of Detroit of the deadly new designer drug, Nuke. Unknown to Robocop, the evil corporate empire which created him wants to take the city private and develop Robocop 2, a newer, bigger, and more powerful version to replace the original. 1990, 117 minutes, directed by Irvin Kirshner, rated R. Thank God they said the new thing is newer, because otherwise I would have thought they were developing Robocop 2, an older, bigger, more powerful version. David, did this movie use the uh, Basil Polidorus RoboCop 1 theme? I don't think it did. I don't believe it did, now that you mention that. I just remember the song from the soundtrack. It's called Kids Gone Wild. I forget the band, but I remember that was in the uh, trailer for it. 
Yeah, I went ahead and put it under the back of the box description anyway, because I love it. But bum 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 dun. Hell yeah. He also did the Conan the Barbarian theme, another banger. I'm just excited to see Robocop's greatest challenge ever, considering in that first movie he was uh, killed and put into the body of a robot. So whatever's greater than that. Also, it said the deadly new designer drug nuke. Is it deadly? We'll get into that, David. How's this movie start? We open on the evening news and it's all bad. A power plant is destroying the Amazon rainforest. Cops are on strike and a deadly new designer drug called Nuke is invading our streets thanks to cult leader guru drug kingpin Kane, played by holy shit Tom Noonan. Anyone will do anything to get it, including firebomb a pawn shop. Luckily, our friendly neighborhood RoboCop, played by Peter Weller, is on patrol. He shakes down the robbers for info and raids the factory where Nuke is made, and we are off and running with this movie, Mac. Yeah, David, turns out that's just a factory where Nuke is made, because later we're going to visit the Nuke Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> and I do mean that, because as we find out later in the movie, it was a Budweiser brewery is where they filmed the scene where Nuke was made. Mmm, <laughs> Budweiser, the king of drugs. Okay, please don't sue me. So, David, this movie starts with some commercials. And these commercials fucking roll. David, what's the first commercial? Do you remember? Uh, the first commercial is going to be for Magnavolt, Lethal Response. It's going to be a, a theft deterrent in your car. Yeah, sure enough. So this guy <laughs> robs the car, but as soon as he gets in it, like, clink, like, this, like, you know, metal jaws, like, grab him and hold him into the car and then electrocute him. And then uh, I recognize that actor who's the pitch man for Magnavolt. Oh my God, that's uh, Gremlins 2's John Glover. He was the guy who played the Donald Trump archetype in that movie. So he had a big year in 1990. I can't wait to see more of him in this movie. But then we cut to the future news and they talked about how the nuclear power plant uh, has had a meltdown in the Amazon, destroying the entire rainforest. Actually, David, let's go ahead and listen to the news report because I love the dialogue between these news anchors. On the international scene, the Amazon nuclear power facility has blown its stack, irradiating the world's largest rainforest. Environmentalists call it a disaster. But don't they always? In national news. Don't they always, David? God damn it, I'm laughing out loud. Oh, I can't wait to live in this shitty future where, where the news anchors just roll their eyes at the world. No, I love it. The fact that like it's so terrible and everyone's like over it is just the fucking best. Yeah. It really is like... Uh, just paints the picture that this future sucks and it is most definitely ours, David. Do not, do not forget for a second. Do not believe it is not. No, it, you know, it's an, it's an eye rolling look at the future, but it tells you exactly where you are with this movie. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm very, I'm very into it. If you watch this in 1990, you might look at this news report and be like, well, this is a very cynical take on the future. Watching it now in the year of our goddess, 2023, this seems like, God, uh, you know, this is definitely 100% where we were headed. <laughs> In the news report about Nuke, David, this great new drug, can't wait to try it, it says that the Surgeon General who was giving a press conference to crying Nuke was gunned down. Now, look, David, I'm not rooting for a real-life Surgeon General any harm to come to them, right? But the idea of the drug cartel assassinating the Surgeon General is so fucking funny. <laughs> I'm already on board. You got to send a message. You got to let people know, hey, we'll get any doctor that says otherwise. Yeah. He loves his drug so much. He being Kane, the uh, drug lord, he, he loves his drug so much, they firebomb a drug treatment clinic. Yeah. He will not let anybody get, get uh, unaddicted to this. It is ridiculous. So we get a little clip here of uh, drug lord slash guru, a dude who definitely thinks he's Jesus. His name is Kane. And he's played by actor Tom Noonan. David, what do you think about 
Tom Noonan in general and also in this role? I think he's so versatile. Um, I mean, because like, I mean, he played, you know, prior to this, I had seen him in everything from Last Action Hero to uh, committing oral on another puppet in Anomalisa. So he could do it all. And so to see him in this, like, it was a good 10 to 15 minutes before I was like, oh, Tom Noonan, that's him. I do like Tom Noonan. Wasn't he also uh, in Manhunter? Didn't he play the Tooth Fairy guy, the the murderer? He was a Michael Mann uh, favorite. He was in Heat as well, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. He had some like inside info mm-hmm. on the robbery. Now, I, I do think Tom Noonan is versatile. I don't think he's a good fit for this role, especially when you compare RoboCop 1, which, you know, I don't want to do too much, but I can't help it, where the main bad guy was Clarence Boddicker, played by Kurtwood Smith, who is so funny and so charismatic in that movie. And in this one, it's like, we need another white dude with glasses who's balding, but just uh, let's tone down that charisma. Because it it fits with the character. Like, Kane is kind of like this religious type, and so he's definitely more, like, laconic and trying to be creepier that way. But uh, I don't know, man. It was was a bit of a come down. I wish they had zigged hard instead of... uh, Zagging? Wait, am I using that right? I don't know. I wish they had gone a little bit farther away from Clarence Boddicker, I guess. Well, here's the reason Tom Noonan doesn't fit. This role does not require an actor. Like Tom Noonan, there's parts coming up in this movie where you could really use Tom Noonan as an actor to really act the heck out of some of this, but they just need someone to kind of mail it in. Like this could have been a Dolph Lundgren for all we know. That is very true. Now, David, there's that shot in, I want to say, Star Wars Episode One where you see a little fish grab on to like this underwater spaceship that our heroes are flying. And I say little fish, it's like bigger than the spaceship, but then an even bigger fish eats that. And then an even bigger fish eats that one. And also there's that scene in the movie prey, which we watched where I think, what is it like uh, a snake eats a mouse and then a wolf eats the snake and the predator kills the wolf or something like that. Right. It's a circle of life shot. Sure. We'll go with yeah. that. Here you kind of get the same thing where, you see a homeless woman get robbed by a dude, like just a a shitty street dude. And then that shitty street dude gets robbed by two sex workers. It's like, man, robbers, robbing robbers. (laughs) This, This town is tough. This movie's a little too telegraphable though, because we see the unhoused lady pushing her shopping cart full of cans. And my girlfriend, the bombshell was like, how come you didn't crush those cans? You can have more space to, to fit more cans. And I said, well, so they could do this. And sure enough, here comes a car to smash right into the cart and let those cans go flying. But then we see some dudes robbing a gun store. And one of the guys, the first guy into the gun store to rob it, first thing he grabs is a beret. Because <laughs> they sell like military style berets, like a, you know, like the kind of a rate or like a green beret would have, I guess. Yeah. And he puts one on, uh, which, uh, you know, smart move. That purchase valor. That's a, that is a very smart move. Actually, I'll tell you what. Urban Kirshner is the king of the cut to explosions because the two sex workers who robbed that one guy, they're running off to go get nuke and they run past this pawn shop and then it's just a quick cut and then the pawn shop explodes moments after they walk past it. I, I was sort of watching it passively and then when that cut happened, I was like, holy crap, it was very impressive. Yeah, for sure. But you're right, David, this dude runs in and this, you know, just gun store that's just on the side of the street here. Just your mom and pop gun store. It's one of the things it sells is a rocket launcher. It's ridiculous. You know, they're going through guns. They're grabbing uh, ammo, whatever they can. And then all of a sudden, he, one of the guys pulls out this rocket launcher. And immediately you're like, okay, we've only been in this movie a few minutes. We've already seen a, a few moments ago they were doing kind of a, a, a pan shot of the streets at night in downtown Detroit. And it's this lady, like, smoking while she feeds a baby. And there's a newsstand with a swastika on it. And so, like... 
oh, this is a really bad place. But then it's also like really, you know, hitting you over the head with how bad it is. So yeah. if this is also going to be the kind of movie that pulls out a rocket launcher, you better use that goddamn rocket launcher. And sure enough, we're about 90 seconds away from using that rocket launcher. Now, David, the news report also said that the police department of Detroit is on strike, which, I mean, man, I love these action movies with police strikes in them because it really lets people know, hey, the cops are not coming the rest of the movie. <laughs> if you're wondering where the cops are when this mega violence is going down, they're not coming. Which last episode with the Birds of Prey, we were talking about that cliche, like, you know, David, there's another main character here, the city. I feel like the city is itself a character. I feel like another cliche with action movies that keeps coming up is, you know, David, this movie is actually a Western. Uh, which, I mean, to get to that Western, the idea of like, oh, there's only one lawman in town, like having the cops be on strike is like a little, you know, quick way to get there. I don't think RoboCop 2 is a Western, but if you're playing a drinking game at home or in your car, drink every time the police are on strike. <laughs> so go ahead and uh, finish whatever you're drinking right now, uh, be it a, a coffee or maybe an Arizona iced tea. This movie is absolutely not a Western. It just doesn't know how to write ramifications. Like it really, you know, we'll see it throughout this movie, you know, especially dealing with RoboCop's existential crisis. Like this movie doesn't know how to think big about stuff. It does not know how to think big about stuff, but it does know about ramifications, David, because this movie loves exit wounds. <laughs> not a single bullet stayed in anyone's body in the front, out the back. But a police car rolls up where I thought the cops were on strike. It don't matter, my man. Rocket launch that bitch. So we rocket launched the police car. It blows up. Whoever's inside was definitely dead. Uh-uh. No, they're not. Bum, 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 bum. Because it's RoboCop. He's coming out of the car. Hot intro from my man, RoboCop. Hot intro from RoboCop. And he, he grabs the robbers. He shakes them down. I got to tell you, Peter Weller, like, I'm not sure whether he wanted to be in this movie or not, but he sure did have fun playing with the way RoboCop spoke. Like, he finally gets a chance to emote, even though he's a robot cop. Like, the way he delivers this line. Where is it made? Not mine, man. I told you, I'm clean. Where is it made? Peter Weller, as an actor, is struggling between, I sure do want to yell at this guy because I'm a cop, but I'm also a robot cop. Also, his movements in this movie are pretty robotic. He does a really good job with the physicality of this character. But you're right, David. One of the things I read, Peter Weller did not like this script <laughs> either. <laughs> Nobody liked this script. Nobody fucking liked this script. I think Nancy Allen was going to work on a version of it, but then that got trashed. So she also did not like this script. She also <laughs> didn't like director Irvin Kirshner. Fun fact. Is it? Well, you could really tell when, uh, you know, comparing this to Birds of Prey, where everyone seemed like they were having a good time and it kind of, you felt it in the movie because it was a fun movie. You could tell people didn't want to make this movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I call this a full on action set piece, but it is a little bit of an action scene. But then I guess those dudes tell RoboCop where it's being made because RoboCop busts in that lab where they're making nuke. Be -be 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 starts blowing everybody up. Now, here's a wuss warning, real quick. For some reason, I guess it was bring your baby to work day at this nuke lab. And at some point, a bad guy like grabs a baby and he's like, oh, fucking shoot this baby if you don't get out of here, RoboCop. <laughs> the baby lives, okay? No babies are killed in this movie. However, wuss warning, this movie is fucking gross. If you uh, don't want to see the inside of someone's skull, maybe just uh, watch RoboCop 3. I think it's PG-13. But yeah, so, you know, RoboCop shows up at this uh, at this lab. He, you know, he has to walk through the bad part of town to get to it. And this movie's idea of the bad part of town is the same idea that Batman Forever had about the bad part of town. It's just very neon and very bright and vivid. Yeah, I have a lot of choreographed dancers. <laughs> I know that might just be Batman Forever. <laughs> 
But yeah, he goes in and there's the whole uh, nuke gang, right? There's Kane. There's Kane's main squeeze, Angie. There's a rockabilly dude for some fucking reason. And then there's Hob. What's the deal with Hob? Because he seems a little short for a bad guy. Hob is a child. Hob has to be, can't be more than 12 years old. Finally, my prayers have been answered, Mac. All these movies and I finally get a child criminal. This is perfect. Like, you know, because we see Robocop's on-screen display when he meets Hob, Hob played by Gabriel Damon, and he won't shoot the kid. He thinks the kid is harmless because the kid is a kid and the kid shoots him right in the face. This is brilliant. This is how you beat Robot Cop. Oh, David, our weird fanatical fears that this world of crime we're living in in the 80s and 90s, our fears that it was going to produce a generation of youth that would grow up to be super predators. It's correct because this 12-year-old kid, if he's this uh, sadistic murderer, David, this is the future right now. Might as well just nuke this whole world. And I don't mean the drug nuke. I mean nuclear bombs. I love it. This is the evolution of crime. This is like, you know, hey, if you want to get ahead in this world, hire young. I love it. I, I condemn it. Oh, <laughs> criminals. How dare you poison our youth? I'm going to get one picky moment out of the way here because it's going to fuel me through the rest of the movie. It's the future. We've seen RoboCop now for a few years. Hey, criminals, guns don't work. Like, you should have figured out EMP technology by now or figured out, like, magnet technology. I guess they do figure out later in the movie, but, you know, figure something else out. Hey, don't help the criminals defeat RoboCop. He's our last line of defense. But David, bad news about RoboCop. He still thinks he's long dead police officer Alex Murphy, and he won't stop stalking Alex Murphy's wife. I mean, technically he is still Alex. I mean, I thought that's where the last movie, but I don't know. Anyway, time for some deprogramming. <laughs> we also check in on the offices of evil future corporation OCP, Omniconsumer Products. OCP CEO, who is just referred to as the old man, played by Daniel O'Herlihy, and his number two Johnson, played by Felton Perry, are still running the show. And soon they'll be running Detroit once the city defaults on their payments and OCP repossesses an entire major city. Holy cow. Yeah, I thought that the old man character was a semi-decent dude at the end of the first RoboCop. I'm wrong, David. He's a complete uh, corporate Reaganaut. This guy sucks. But RoboCop, again, I thought at the end of the first movie... He's like, I've come to grips with who I am. I'm RoboCop, I use, and I'm, I'm still Alex Murphy. This is what I call a life now. But then I guess we're like, let's backtrack on that and just you know flush that whole, his quest for humanity down the toilet. You know, to see how much better we are at making sequels and trilogies and sagas out of stories, like, you know, there was a lot to explore with a RoboCop, or there could have been a lot to explore with a RoboCop 2, but this movie not only kind of starts over again, but goes backwards a few paces. Yeah, first we see a scene of Robo peeping. I'm on board for that. Then later when RoboCop is back at his like home base where he like plugs into the computers and they beep boop boop, check him out, which I guess is located in police headquarters. Because RoboCop David, he's owned by this corporation that I guess also owns the police. And uh, they're looking at the tape of him checking out his wife and like, RoboCop, stop, stop it. You're RoboCop, you're not Alex Murphy, he's dead. What, what do you think you're going to do here? You think your wife would ever love you? Do you think you could ever be a husband to her? I mean, what can you offer her? Companionship? Love? A man's love? Basically, they're like, you can't fuck her anymore. You don't got a dick. You don't got a dick, RoboCop. Admit it. You don't got a dick. And he's like, you're right. Damn, he's up on RoboCop. Jesus fucking Christ. And then after, oh, David, it's not just um, the OCP people yelling at him. It's also his wife's attorney is sitting there <laughs> like, leave her alone, dickless. And then 
I guess after they're done yelling at him, like, all right, bring in his wife, which I don't get. What? Why did we just, what? You know, when this whole sequence starts, we get the sense that he's stalking her. Like, he really is watching from afar. He's making Alex Murphy's wife uncomfortable. See, why do you it's, keep saying Alex Murphy's wife? You don't, Do you not think he's Alex Murphy anymore? I'm I'm okay with the conceit that he is, but, like, really, aside from, like, the memories in his head that he really has no connection to and the face that is plastered on this robot body, like, if you rip that face off, you're one step closer to not thinking he's Alex Murphy anymore. Hmm, that's true. He definitely doesn't have Alex Murphy's dick. But yeah, the the wife comes in. She's like, Alex, why are you doing this? He, because they're like behind a chain link fence or the chain link fence between them. And Robocop's like, touch me. <laughs> she's like, all right. She touches him and she's like, oh, it's cold. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Because Alex Murphy's dead. I'm Robocop now. Later. Well, he's got a line here. And this actually, you know, this sort of crystallizes a lot of the Alex Murphy Robocop struggle for me where he, you know, he says, touch me. I'm, I'm cold. And then he says, they made me this to honor him. And he seems so disgusted by that. Like, you know, I'm not Alex Murphy. I'm just this this monument that they have. It's kind of, it's grotesque to keep me alive in this way. It is. And yeah, honor him. We got a different definitions of honor there, RoboCop. But this poor, this poor wife, this poor lady, they just brought her in to cry a little bit. And also they brought her in for flashbacks, I guess, because like... You know, Alex Murphy, RoboCop, is flashing back to his past life as he's sitting here stalking uh, stalking his wife. And, like, I don't remember any of these flashback scenes in the ori- original RoboCop. And it's all, like, her in lingerie, them in the shower, her on top of him. It's – I felt so bad for this actress. Yeah, she really had to straddle a lot of cameramen <laughs> to, <laughs> to make this movie. But in the first movie, he's having these flashbacks because RoboCop doesn't remember he was even human. And this one is just Alex Murphy or Robo Alex just being sad that he's no longer human, I guess. But uh, just to drive it home, this is a low moment. We cut to this really weird ad where this guy's like, "Uh, I didn't use the right, was it a mail server or just electrical thing? I think it was a phone company. I think it was like a long distance service. He's like, I didn't use the right long distance service. And so we lost an account and then he shoots himself. Which, uh, weird, but also funny. It's funny, but, like, compared to the first RoboCop where they're using the ads to paint a picture of the world, I'm getting diminishing returns already with these ads. It really just feels like, hey, we need something here to pad the transition. Yeah, they kind of led with some of the best ones. It's kind of hard to go on it. Then we're going to see here where the mayor of Detroit is meeting with the CEO, the old man, because it looks like they, the city of Detroit defaulted on their debts to OCP, and OCP is going to privatize the city. And I don't know if a lot of Republicans made it past this movie because after they come, they might have stopped watching it because they, you know, just this whole talk about like taking a city private and just letting like private business run everything. I mean, that's just, there's got to be some really crisp Republican genes just being creamed like crazy right now. You know, this is really the playbook and it's no surprise that we live in a RoboCop 2 type future. The old man is bemoaning the fact that the RoboCop 2 project has not really come up with results. And they spent five months and 19 million on it. 19 million? That's not that much, man. Especially in like super inflated 2043 dollars. 19 million. 19 million. They won't buy you a Riddick sequel, right? (laughs) Let alone a, a, you know, a a cyborg cop. They might buy you a RoboCup holder. Yeah, that's true. But then Johnson, who you might remember as the toady from the first RoboCop movie, who says my favorite line in RoboCop 1, which is uh, when RoboCop is first waking up. Johnson goes, he claps and he goes, go Robo, which I do. I love it. Johnson's like, well, we got some promising results. Let's watch some tape. 
And so the tape they show David is uh, footage of their new RoboCop models. And they show, is it, I think it's two of them, and both of them just, of the, the new RoboCop models, instantly go insane. Uh, one shoots a technician. The other one uh, rips off its own head. First of all, calling the the newer model RoboCop 2, like the title of the movie, it is very funny. But the other robot ripping off its own head, that could have been really fucking creepy because it had a skull underneath. Because again, all these things are cyborgs. They're starting with like human parts. That could have been really frightening, but this whole scene is like played for laughs, which is kind of, I don't know. What'd you think about this? This was wild. You know, it was it was funny in that satirical way. It, it was very cute, I guess. But it was also very weird because, yeah, that first robot uh, audition comes out and shoots the technicians, then mimes uh, suicide, mimes, you know, shooting itself in the head. Which I don't know if it actually does or not, but if it does, those aren't very strong uh, robots. Those aren't very sturdy. The second one comes out, rips its head off, reveals the skull underneath. That's the most metal thing I've ever seen. That was like, why wasn't that in the trailers? That was awesome. Yeah, I think somewhere whoever does Megadeth's album covers was like spit out their uh, Fago or whatever they were drinking at the time because it was Detroit. But yeah, when you see the first failed RoboCop 2 experiment, shoot a technician, then we cut to a technician sitting there watching the tape, uh, like rubbing his arm, which is now in a sling. And it's like, oh, he was the guy that got shot in the video. David, if you set up this gag, that first we see a technician get hit, and then we see the real life technician, you got to hit it two more times, at least rule of threes. Like maybe a robot blows up and they look and then we see a technician soot still on his face, his hair standing, you know, straight up. Or maybe he doesn't even have a face. Maybe he's just a skeleton with sunglasses. So, Mac, while we're doing these auditions for RoboCop 2, we're going to meet Dr. Juliet Fax, played by Belinda Bauer, a brash young hotshot who doesn't care whose toes she sleeps with. She's got an idea. Instead of using a normal brain of a dead cop, let's use the psycho brain of a dead psycho. Meanwhile, Robo is on the trail of Hob, the little boy at the drug factory who shot him in the face. Hob's trail leads Robo to an arcade, where he also runs into crooked cop slash nuke addict Duffy, played by Stephen Lee. Time for another info shakedown. So the old man is walking. He's like, five, five months, 19 million. And then he passes this lady wearing uh, an all white suit. She stands out very attractive. And he's like, who's she? And John's like, oh, Dr. Fax or whatever. But after we see the footage of the failed RoboCop experiments, Dr. Fax interrupts and she goes, you know, I don't think it's the mechanical part of this. I think it's your test subjects. Sure, Alex Murphy made a good robot cop, but actually cops don't make good cyborg uh, resources because they're like too into their bods, I think is what she says. She's like, we should use other people. And David, she's clearly evil from the get-go. But then the old man looking her up and down who wants to go with her ideas, he's clearly a sexist piece of trash. David, life is clearly terrible. But at least, at least the old man knows how to be like, he knows how to play the part for the movie. Like, you know, because Fax comes out and she's, She's giving him her plan and, you know, criminals, criminal brains. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing. But he's just leering. He's like, well, hold on. Let's hear the young lady out. And it's he's so gross. I love it. Yeah. And her character is definitely putting some like seduce and destroy vibes out there. And I got to say, David, I was not immune to those 1990 <laughs> vibes. I'll tell you. Belinda Bauer. Belinda Bauer. Fun fact. Actually, I believe became a real clinical psychologist after this movie. I'm not making that up. Shut up. That's awesome. I mean, I may not, it's something, she went into some sort of mental health field uh, that I may not have the title right, but I believe that's what it is, which is crazy. Good for you, (laughs) Belinda Bauer. Now, David, how did you watch this movie? Uh, I watched this on Pluto with commercials. I watched this on Roku TV with commercials too. 
And right after this scene, they cut to a commercial where a dog was mowing the lawn. And I thought it was a RoboCop 2 commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out it was an ad for a fucking Subaru. But yeah, I was watching on Roku and I got a lot of Roku ads. David, did you know that Roku makes like uh, smart products now, like uh, smart light bulbs and also uh, outlets? That can't be good for anybody. <laughs> it's, it's true. Roku. They're not a sponsor <laughs> of the show. But what if you did, Roku? What if you did sponsor us? Look at that kind of product placement. Uh, but David, we cut to the police station where we see a cop is using Nuke. And this cop's name is Duffy. But David, this crooked cop, Duffy, who is using Nuke. First of all, Duffy, what a great name for like a lazy cop. Yeah. Oh, that's a classic schlub name. That's so good. But we see Duffy use the drug Nuke. And he, David, this is a drug, right, that, like, uh, everyone is just committing so much crime to get, right? It's super addictive, I guess. So he goes in the hallway, looks around, no one is is there, and he injects himself with Nuke, and he just goes like, Ugh. In fact, here, we'll play the audio of him using Nuke. <laughs> Which, here's the thing you're not getting from that audio, is he just quickly uses Nuke and then goes right back to work. Wow, what a high this must have, David. But here's the thing you are getting from that audio. Nuke is very loud. I should not be able to hear the of it going into your neck, especially if you're at work. Keep it down. David, I get closer to making an orgasm face when I drink that first sip of Dr. Pepper than this dude did (laughs) using Nuke. Also, Nuke is deadly. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did we see a single person OD because of Nuke? No one has OD'd on Nuke. No one has a bad day on Nuke. This is a pretty decent drug. Yes, let's keep this in mind for later on. It does not seem like Nuke is all that deadly. But RoboCop goes to this arcade, and there's a bunch of kids around. And RoboCop says this to the kid. Isn't this a school day? And you hear that noise, David? The kids at the arcade are booing RoboCop and throwing their popcorn at him. At this point in my notes, I wrote down, boo, RoboCop sucks. There's, there's criminals you got to go after, okay? Don't tell us to go back to school unless it was like RoboCop being funny, in which case, stop joking around, RoboCop. But that's Cops of the Future. You know, there's big stuff going on, and they're just picking on kids. That, that tracks for me. But Duffy gives up the whereabouts of Kane's lair, and so we, off we are to Kane's secret headquarters. That's right. Robo's going to take the afternoon drive. Out to Kane's compound to bring him in, dead or alive. This was a bad idea because Robo is outnumbered, overpowered, and then cut up into pieces and dumped on the steps of the precinct. Call the mechanic because we've got a Robo on life support. God damn it, David. If only those other cops weren't on strike. Now, David, Kane's layer here is just stupid. He's got a framed picture of Mother Teresa. He's got a framed picture of Oliver North testifying in uh, Congress, I believe, for the uh, Iran-Contra deal. And then, David, in a glass case... He has what we, the viewers, are supposed to believe is Elvis's corpse. Still hair perfectly intact also. Like, it's the thing that drives me nuts about movies set in the future is that they still think we'd have an attachment to stuff like this in the future. Or it's like, oh man, we're going to hold on to the corpse of this guy who's been dead for 70 years. I don't know about you, but I looked at it and go, oh my God, Austin Butler's dead? But yeah, imagine taking a spirit store plastic skeleton and putting an Elvis wig on it, and then in a glass case, and then that is what the set dresser is like, this is Elvis's corpse. Uh, oh, also was wearing like an Elvis jumpsuit and a uh, uh, like a medallion. And RoboCop kind of pauses and looks at it, and uh, here's my first punch-up. I want RoboCop to go like, okay? <laughs> like, <'cause> <laughs> just like, who is this convincing? What is Kane's deal? Whatever. But like, you know, keep in mind also, this is not some... 
fortress or this is not like some awesome penthouse this is pretty much the same set they used for the third act of the first robocop it's really just this like industrial part of town and they're just like oh we'll just shoot the other side of this and like so there's like this shrine set up in the middle of this warehouse it's really it makes no sense to me we also get a lingering shot of some of the art in kane's compound specifically this weird crystal sculpture is that crystal supposed to be something I don't know what that's supposed to be, especially after you just saw Elvis. I, in my mind, I had this flight of fancy where I was like, oh, that must be uncut nuke or something. Where it's like, that's the mineral that it comes from. Yeah, I was like, is this uh, like a dilithium crystal? Is that what they use in Star Trek or something? Is it the Imcron crystal from X-Men? I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it didn't make any sense. But look, RoboCop goes alone because the other cops are on strike. He does blow some dudes away, I think. Or does he even get one dude killed? I think he gets one dude. Well, because, oh, actually, this whole thing starts off great. I didn't even mention this. We're getting to the compound. Robo's in the car. He's driving. There's a lot of cuts. There's a lot of dissolves. And then he pulls up to the gate. They let him in, and it just explodes. It was such a long walk for such a quick payoff. I loved it. But I think around that time, he also does kill at least one guard. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of the earlier shootout at the the nuke lab, which definitely has some dude like, <laughs> like it's, I don't, again, it's not a full in action set piece, but at the same time, I do like that kind of like, <laughs> if you're going to unload a machine gun on somebody, I definitely want to see that somebody from behind with the bullets, just ex- like the squibs just exploding out of their body. Just have them be like shot to ribbons. Just, it's just so over the top. And I'm just like, yeah, I like this. One of the better things in this movie, going back to Desperado last week also, the the squib work in this and just the the mowing down of extras in this movie pretty exceptional so after they capture robocop tom noonan is given some speech where he compares himself to jesus or something and david i will be honest with you i wrote down in my script tom noonan sucks right here (laughs) and it's maybe my problem is more just with the character kane because i don't i don't care about it but yeah so they take him apart which i again did we do this last stop taking apart robocop leave robocop alone no, that's their only move, and it's and it's a killer move because every time you see it, it's like, oh my god, they tore that poor guy apart. It's really jarring. You're not wrong about that because the movie RoboCop first one begins with Alex Murphy getting like shot two pieces. So the fact that they are taking him apart again, I just I'm like, this guy's been through so much. Please stop dismembering him. But man, you want to talk about a movie turning chicken shit into chicken salad? So the the robotics effects on Alex Murphy's face and RoboCop are not the best but they use it to their advantage you know when they bring him into the, when they bring RoboCop into the precinct he's torn apart and they say like don't tell me he can't suffer look at him and it's just this robot face kind of twitching out of control and like if you look at it like a special effect it doesn't look very good but if you look at like a special effect suffering oh my god it's really good yeah cuz it's not Peter Weller it's just like the top torso of RoboCop and so it's some sort of like animatronic puppet and, but yeah, it doesn't look completely realistic. The eye movement is definitely too stiff. But you're right, there's something about it, which is, it's effective. It's very, very creepy. But David, the, the nuke gang drops off RoboCop's parts in front of the cops where they are on strike, which in my mind, I was like, isn't that good for the cops? Because they're like, oh no, what did they do to our buddy RoboCop? Isn't RoboCop a scab? Oh boy, there's such a conversation to be had with this movie. A smarter movie could have an awesome conversation about this because like, that's why you build RoboCop. You build RoboCop to make human cops obsolete. So, of course, he would be a scab. But, like, 
Then the movie's asking me to root for a scab without any sort of struggle or conflict or anything like that. It's a, it, it's. I don't want to tear this movie apart for no good goddamn reason, but it doesn't work for me. So the OCP executive who's like on site in charge of RoboCop is uh, Holzgang, played by Jeff McCarthy. He was the guy that was yelling at RoboCop for not being able to give his wife, quote unquote, a man's love anymore. Holzgang is like, he's fine. And then the technician who, I don't even know if we get her name. She definitely could have been a bigger character in this movie because she has like real empathy for RoboCop. And she's like, can't you see he's in hell? Hey, kill him. Kill RoboCop. You know what? Like he is, if he's in hell, just unplug him. Okay. He's just a, a brain attached to some computer parts and he's, he's all broken. And the OCP guy's like, I don't know if we can afford to fix him. Turn him off. You'd be doing him a favor. Yeah. This RoboCop technician is exceptional also. Uh, Credit to Patricia Charbonneau. That's a name I had to spend a long time looking up. There's, I promise you, there's like an e-true Hollywood story behind Patricia Charbonneau because her credit was very hard to find. And then when you found it, it's just RoboCop technician. Oh, she was not like in RoboCop 3 or whatever? I don't know. All I know is it took a long time and it was very hard to find her credit on IMDb. Well, I guess you can check out our podcast, uh, Hunting Melissa Shabano. I already forgot. Is that Adam Sandler's new podcast? No, that's Hunting Patricia Shabadoo. (laughs) Forgive me. Kid Criminal Hob and Crooked Cop Duffy celebrate their victory over RoboCop, but Hob finds out that this untrustworthy rat is actually an untrustworthy rat. Time to teach him a lesson by splitting open his chest cavity. Back at the lab, Dr. Fax is going through a database looking for the perfect maniac when another doctor decides, I'm telling Johnson. Johnson tells the old man to watch out for Fax and her sexy scheming ways, but too late. The old man and Fax are already spending hot tub time together and going over some of Fax's fresh new ideas. So yeah, Duffy gave up Kane's whereabouts, crooked nuke-using cop Duffy. And David, there's a, actions have consequences. So Duffy is tied to a table and they're like, oh, you ratted Duffy. So we're going to perform unneeded surgery on you. David, what the fuck was the point of this scene? It was to show people that Duffy is dead. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> there's, there's, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I already knew that uh, Kane was a bad dude. I, I guess, so when they start to slice open Duffy, uh, Kane's main squeeze, Angie's like, what the fuck, man? I thought you were just supposed to scare him. And Tom Noon is like, he doesn't he look scared? And then the little kid, Hob, starts to turn away and like, Kane grabs the kid's head and like forces him to watch. But this scene I thought was kind of unnecessary, but it did have one awesome moment in it for me, which is uh, when Duffy starts screaming, they cut away to the hallway outside the room where uh, the bunch of like uh, gang, like rando gang members are just out there with guns, like standing guard. And when the scream happens, there's a look on the face of one of the bad dudes in the hallway during the torture. And the look is just like, ugh, like he's just so like, not again. Like he just is like so over it and just put out by this. He's like, ah, just I'm just here for the money. I mean, in a way, it just told me like his gang, they're not true believers. They're not like uh oh yeah, nuke will bring about a peaceful new age or something like that. They're just like, whatever, man, sign our fucking checks. Yeah, I like the idea that they're just so over it, like, especially you know, I, I missed that part, but I was busy paying attention to the sound design on it because when they cut Duffy's chest open. It sounds like jerky ripping. Like, it really is like, this is unnecessary. So for them to, like, hear that and to just, like, another day of this cult leader, like, that's pretty great. Yeah, 100%. These sound effects were gross <laughs> in that scene. Now, we cut back to the lab, and we see Dr. Fax looking through her database of, like, potential 
brains, like our brain donors. Did you notice anything about the people in the database? I noticed that the camera was spending a lot of time on them, which made me wonder who are these people. And I think my best guess is probably crew. I would assume that they're crew members. I, you're definitely right about at least one person because the first face they showed, I was like, I think that's Irvin Kirshner. And I looked it up and it is. It's director Irvin Kirshner. Which the fact that I I recognized him instantly, <laughs> like I, I didn't like look at a picture of Irvin Kirshner prior to this movie. I just saw that I was like, oh, Irvin Kirshner. I was like, what? How did that, that guy was so top of mind? But David, I know something else. And like, I don't want to toot my own nerd horn here, but I didn't like look this up on like some Easter egg site. The names of all those people were the names of comic book creators, like Sprang uh, for Dick Sprang, Moore for Alan Moore, Gibbons for Dave Gibbons, Daryl for Jeff Daryl, even like uh, Crumb, like, you know, R. Crumb, which I got to think Frank Miller wrote those in at some point because a lot of those are his collaborators, which uh, I thought was neat, even though who gives a shit? Well, you know, he's spending so much time on set. You might as well just let him have some fun and put some friends' names in there. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I thought that was cool. But Fax is like, God, I just need a, a better brain here. Just let me let me find my brain. And the other technician is like, I'm going to go over your head. And it's like, God damn it, David. Even psychos can be put down by the patriarchy. You know what I mean? This poor lady. I wish she could just go off on her own and start her own robot cop company. And so Johnson does find out. And he goes into this giant corporate zen garden like you know those little like desk uh gardens that you like take a little miniature rake and you're supposed to like rake some sand around a rock and you're like yeah life's not so bad there's a giant version of this and in the middle is a hot tub where the old man is soaking and johnson's like man i don't know about this dr fax she's fucked up but then in walks dr fax wearing just a kimono carrying a tea and, and so i wrote down in my notes they're fucking dr fax and the old man and so of course dr fax like gets her way I wrote down in my notes here, David, she better kill this dude. <laughs> Why? What? Because we find out later that they're kind of playing each other. Like, you know, she's getting what she wants and the old man is getting a fucking a booty call. I wanted her to be, I mean, she's a schemer, right? I want her to be more than a schemer. I want her to be like a full on mastermind because I want her to like murder this dude and like take over OCPs. Like if we're doing this, have her go all the way to the top, not fuck her way to the top, scheme her way to the top. Also, David, I would not have minded a scene where they cut back, just like, you know, instead of cutting to a Ram commercial, just cut back to uh, them just having some hot tub sex. I just want to see that water splashing around. I would also settle for a, uh, a secretary being like, uh, old man, your five o'clock is here. And then like water, like <laughs> splashing onto her to be like, Ugh! and then like leaving the room because they were boning so crazy in that hot tub. Please, you got to stop mentioning stuff like that. I can't like <laughs> here. Here's what my the only note I had for this scene was old man only agreed to the sequel if he could take off his shirt because <laughs> there's there's so many other ways you could convey they're sleeping together without this old man taking off his shirt. There's a Twitter thread I saw recently complaining that action movies were not horny anymore. And it's example for some reason was showing Kylie uh, Minogue in uh, the Street Fighter movie as Cammy, which I was like, okay, I forgot that that movie existed. Uh, we just did watch Desperado, which was a, a pretty horny action movie. Oh, God, yeah. But do you wish this RoboCop 2 was hornier or was it horny enough? No, it was too horny and it wasn't very horny. Yes, there's some unnecessary horniness later on. We will get to that. Fans of unnecessary horniness, stay tuned. So it looks like Robo might crash without a system upgrade. Thankfully, Fax has been collecting data from focus groups to help upgrade RoboCop to a kinder, gentler law enforcement robot. Robo resists the upgrade at first, but Fax reprograms Robo to forget he was ever Alex Murphy. Or at least she gets him to say it, so I guess that'll hold up in court. 
we find out the RoboCop system is about to crash because his bicep pops out, his robotic bicep pops out, and there's a little screen on it that says like, danger, system crash. What? Yeah, and this is not some like tiny LCD screen. This is a, a small monitor for 1990. So it really takes up like, a lot of RoboCop's bicep, which made me wonder, because we already know that like his gun pops out of his thigh. So how much of RoboCop is just like empty space or storage? I hope RoboCop is a lot like Bender on Futurama, where whatever you need is inside of him. Like RoboCop's like a drill pops out of his chest. It's like too big for his chest cavity. Internet, get on this. I want this fan made. Let's do this right now. Yeah, just RoboCop could basically turn into anything. That, that's, a, that's my punch up for RoboCop too. <laughs> Be more like Bender. But David, this focus group, it's supposed to be corporate executives of OCP. And Dr. Fax is like, what do you think about this? And of course, David, you know corporate executives. What are they? Correct. Bleeding heart liberals. And all these fucking snowflakes are like, why can't RoboCop uh, drink more soy milk and be nice to people? David, this combined with some Dark Knight writing, I, I mean, so the script was definitely not entirely Frank Miller's. I don't think Frank Miller cares too much for therapy. No? No, I, I don't think so. I think you're right. I don't think his idea of like working on yourself mentally is, uh, you know, jives with sort of the, the Frank Miller like outlaw aesthetic or something like that. Because I don't know, this, this scene is, is real stupid. I mean, again, it's like, yeah, we're dunking on these like out of touch executives, but it's like, do really like 1980s corporate raiders, is this, is this what they want Robocop to be? But this movie is mad at a problem that it created because, you know, I was reading some articles before before this recording and, you know, they sort of talk about how the movie was is making fun of itself. The movie is making fun of this idea that the studio wanted a kinder, gentler RoboCop and they tried, you know, they kind of noted uh, the sequel to death. But then it's also like, hey, man, you're the guys creating the cartoon. You're the guys creating the lunchbox. Like nobody, we know our relationship with RoboCop. You guys don't know your relationship with RoboCop or our relationship for that matter. And that's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. And this is the part where I was like trying to think like, what do I want out of a RoboCop movie? Because these kind of beats of like trying to reprogram RoboCop, I was like, didn't we already get this in RoboCop 1? And I stopped to be like, wait, what did I want to see in RoboCop 2? And the answer is maybe I don't need to see a RoboCop 2. Because RoboCop being such a satire... It wasn't the legend of this action hero named Robot Cop Part 1. It kind of was told a little complete story, and I don't know if we needed a sequel. This is going to be one of my punch-ups. I'll go ahead and we can talk about it right now, where I think if you do want to have this commentary about focus groups and corporate bigwigs getting stuff wrong and them wanting to note RoboCop to death, move that to the beginning of this movie. I would have liked to have seen this movie start where a few years past the creation of RoboCop, and he actually works. Like... The city is safer, everything's cleaner, and the people at OCP hate that. And they want to actually stir up some shit because they realize there's no money in peace. Like, that is a movie that has something to say. This movie has nothing to say. Yeah, I think you're right, honestly. Like, if you make this conversation not about current RoboCop, but what they would like to see in a new RoboCop model, that would be interesting. And and, and I set up that question, like, do I need a RoboCop sequel? Later on in the movie, there's a little bit of some teases once we actually meet the upgraded RoboCop, then I'm like, oh, you know what? I think there is a sequel out there. But you're right, David, because I think what your suggestion does is it takes the world of RoboCop at face value and being like, okay, where? how would this world expand? Instead, it's like, okay, the nothing really changed, which, uh, yeah, that's not a great that's not a great springboard for a sequel. But then, well, you know, while all this is going on, Fax is trying to 
do a system upgrade on RoboCop, and he's still re- resisting. Like the uh, the other technician is like, you know, it's too much data. He can't download it all. And and Fax is like, no, he's resisting. He still thinks he's Alex Murphy. So she's like, I want some time alone with him. And so she starts tippy tapping on the keyboard, and she's like. Who are you? I'm Alex Murphy. Tippy tap, 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 tap. Who are you? I'm RoboCop. Isn't that the whole problem to begin with? Like, didn't she just fix it? If it's just like, look, I kind of don't give a shit if he thinks he's Alex Murphy. I just don't want him to present as Alex Murphy. So if you can get him to say that, we can finish this movie right now. We could, but we won't. (laughs) That system upgrade has RoboCop feeling like a brand new cyborg, David. So let's go test out our new funky feelings on patrol. Sure thing. RoboCop is doing all sorts of crazy things now, like following the posted speed limit and trying to disarm a robber with words instead of a rocket launcher. Oh, excuse me while I puke. (laughs) We need more violence. Oh, well, well, guess what? Robo's still partner, I guess, Lewis, played by Nancy Allen, does not like this one bit and wants the old Robo back. Nothing a little electrocution won't fix. Robo fixes himself and deletes all the directives that were holding him back, and now it's time to get Kane. Oh no, David, RoboCop is a sweet boy now. (laughs) Boo! Who needs that? I want my violence, man. So David, the crime we see in progress is a mom and pop electronics store being robbed by a little league team. Mac, my heart sang when I saw these child bandits. I was like, here (laughs) we fucking go. I know. Look, the, the, the idea that like, oh no, some shady gun toting thugs are gonna take us down. Boring. The fact that crime is so rampant that a fucking Little League team in uniform is robbing an electronic store at behest of their coach. What's their story? I fucking loved it. The coach actually kind of ruined it for me because you see the coach with like a gun keeping lookout. And you're like, oh, this wasn't just sort of, you know, this homegrown idea to rob a mom and pop store. This was the coach's idea. But the fact that they're all in uniform, it makes me wonder, like, did they lose a game? And the coach was like, I fucking hate. Let's go rob some shit. But it's it's little stuff like this, you know, because they do rob a mom and pop electronics store where you you look at movies that are set in the future and they don't think things through. Because, like, there's no way they could have predicted big box stores. But, like, you look back and, yeah, there's no way a mom and pop electronics store could have existed. Like, the idea that someone was just like, I'm just going to open a small store, sell some stereos, sell some TVs, and make a nice little living, like... Not in the future, stupid. Well, they got there and they didn't because they're like, there's this mega corporation, uh, OCP, and they're going to own everything. It's like, oh, okay. So like no more mom and pop. Uh, it's like, no, no, no. Those will still be there. <laughs> like just <laughs> everything but businesses that are real robbable. But David, in this gunfight, uh, Lewis shoots the coach and she's got a gun on the Little League kids. She's like, get your hands up, Little Leaguers. And I believe their shirt says they're the Motown Muskrats. Oh, very cool. I did not notice that. And while Lewis is, you know, covering these kids, RoboCop is reading Miranda rights to the corpse of the Little League officer. And Lewis and RoboCop have this exchange. You are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. He's dead, Murphy. You have the right to an attorney. You're reading Miranda to a corpse. I'm having trouble. Because I'm having trouble. L-O fucking L, David. I just, the scene, God damn it. Now, this is the kind of unexpected trash that I like. You know, again, going back to Peter Weller at least having some fun with it, this really is a great line delivery. It's like, it, it's it's probably one of the funnier parts of the movie. It's like, I'm 
having trouble. It was a relatable feeling. This is the first scene in this movie that didn't feel like it would have fit in RoboCop 1. Like everything else in this movie felt like it could have been like uh, like a deleted scene or like an alternate scene from RoboCop 1 or just, I don't know. This felt like RoboCop 2's first like original idea. Now, is it a good original idea to make RoboCop lumber around being like, uh, tie your shoes, don't do drugs, say your prayers? But at the same time, it's unexpected, and I found myself enjoying it. It's unexpected. It felt a lot like Superman, too, when Superman trades in his powers and he's Clark Kent and, like, he's just living as a regular schlub for a while. Like, there was, so, there was something, there was that same kind of energy where it's like, what is happening in this movie? But like, I mean, even when, you know, we first see RoboCop introduced in this moment, he's trying to, like, negotiate with the coach who's got the gun on him, and he's like, can't we talk about this? And so when... Lewis shoots the coach like are we supposed to be glad that this cop was like words are over boom like this this movie is leaving me with weird feelings yeah it goes back to some of the ideas the focus group had where they're basically like hey what if police weren't so violent and they're set up it's like idiots <laughs> i gotta say maybe not then robocop goes to a neighborhood where some kids have opened a fire hydrant they're cooling off on a hot day and robocop goes and turns off the fire hydrant he's like don't waste water or actually he says waste not one not which we fucking get it. We, you know, like, why do we need more examples of the fact that RoboCop is like a high school principal now? But then he sees some dude smoking a cigarette and RoboCop with his gun bet, shoots like a halo around the guy. And then the guy Ooh, spits out the cigarette. And then RoboCop says, thank you for not smoking. David, that scene was actually turned into an anti-smoking PSA that ran on television. Are you serious? RoboCop doing some real world good, I guess. So, so they're gonna take Robo back to the back to the precinct. Something's wrong with him. They fucked him up good, and so they're going through like the list of directives that have been uh, implanted into him. Now it's like you know, tuck your napkin into your collar, and you know, always look both ways. Yeah, there was one that was like, "Don't say you're a person who arrives on time if you aren't." <laughs> and so RoboCop's just like nuts to this. He gets up, he goes outside, he grabs onto a transformer with both hands, and that shorts. All of the directives out of him. There's no like, at least he had the three directives at the beginning of the movie where, uh, you know, uphold the law, you know, do right uh, kind of thing. They're gone now. So his first thought is, you know, are we cops? And so the previously picketing cops are like, hey, yeah, I guess we are cops. What's got you bugged? Uh, RoboCop is like, Kane's bugging me. And it's like, I wish this movie was working in such a way that I was into this. I'm not into this. Yeah, I don't care right now because what is RoboCop's fucking character arc at this moment? Like, what? Like, he's got no agency. He's just kind of a, a puppet of these like you know corporate whims. He's just trying to. His character arc is he he's a cop trying to, to catch a criminal because that's his job. Wowie wow wow wow. It's basically the same story arc as Coke going from New Coke back to Coke. It's just like, what the fuck do we do any of this for? Ah, uh, damn it! Where's that movie been, Affleck? Right, Mad Damon. Make that next after Air. But good news, everybody. The cops are back and they're off to get Kane. Robo and the gang interrupt Kane's nuke tasting and raid his compound. Kane tries to escape, but maybe a truck full of money isn't the best escape vehicle. Robo pursues Kane on a motorcycle and they face off in a game of chicken that I guess Robocop wins because the money is seized and Kane ends up in the hospital clinging to life. So Kane is inside like a tractor trailer, which is inside the, the nuke brewery. And he's looking at all the new nukes, the new flavors of nuke. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to have... A nuke for every mood. And I was watching this scene, David, and my notes I wrote, wait, what's wrong with nuke? <laughs> it doesn't seem to be deadly. It just seems to be something people enjoy. And what's the problem? 
people are committing crimes because they can't afford to buy it. Well, because then also like later in the movie, they talk about how they want to make it cheaper, you know, more affordable for people. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> what is wrong with Nuke? It's fine. Leave it the way it is. Yeah, people who are on Nuke don't aren't like crazy. Like that one cop like used Nuke and he's like, yeah, that's pretty good. And then like back to work. Like it, it doesn't, uh, no one's like, oh man, some crackhead robbed me. It's like, oh man, some nukehead did my taxes and uh, he seemed to be in a better mood than he usually was. My taxes <laughs> turned out great. Like it just, if they're painting nuke as some bad drug, uh, yeah, I don't see it. it. Well, you know, actually it's interesting. It feels like the movie is trying to imply that Kane and Nuke are going to ruin themselves by becoming corporate. You know, because he even says, uh, you know, because Angie's like looking at the mixture. She's like, made in America. And Kane goes, I'm going to make that mean something. And it's like, what are you guys trying to say to me? Yeah. And then later on, the old man repeats that same line. I looked it up. I cannot find any evidence that it is a Reagan quote from Ronald Reagan, but it seems like something he would say in a speech. So that's kind of, I don't know. That, my idea was just that kind of pro-America wave at the time contrasting this feeling of nationalism with what America is actually good at, which maybe in the 80s and 90s was just crime, I guess. But David, do you recognize the technician, Frank, who's uh, cooking up some new nuke? I do. He has the unmistakable face of artist Frank Miller. That is correct. I also recognize Frank Miller from the movie Sin City, where he played a priest that got killed by Marv. In this movie, he gets killed. Uh, he blows up in a, in a bomb. Does Frank Miller die in every fucking uh, movie he's in? He might. He's the Sean Bean of the comic book world. Good for him. Yeah, I don't know if he had a cameo in The Spirit or not, but I bet he died. But when the cops are off to take down Kane, we get a shot of this hot dog vendor and a hot dog customer. And the hot dog customer is like, hey, it's cops. They're going in a hurry. And the hot dog vendor is like, they're off to beat someone's ass. At first, David, I wanted to praise this hot dog vendor because as he was selling a hot dog... And looking at the cops, he, without looking, he kept squirting mustard on the hot dog. And I was like, oh, shit, a no-look mustard squirt. This dude's a pro. But then I looked down, David. He was touching the hot dog, no gloves, just with his hands. And his finger was on the actual meat part of the hot dog, his thumb. Oh, was no. touching the hot dog to hold it in place. You might as well put your thumb right in my fucking mouth if you're going to do that. Gross. Well, I don't have that kind of money. That's, that's another punch-up right now, David. The RoboCop later in the movie goes back to that guy and like forces him to wear some plastic gloves and be like, proper sanitation, citizen. See, there's something there. Like, I kind of wish he would have shorted out and and mixed, you know, cross signals. And so, like, you know, he would have been very strict about very benign things and very benign about, you know, criminal offenses. Like, I, there's something there. Yeah. But here we get a small action set piece shootout at the Nuke Brewery. Best action set piece of the movie, you know, it, it's it's great squib work. It's good tumbles. You know, the stunt guys are going downstairs, a loner in Paris. I, I actually really like this uh, this action. Yeah, and the note I found that the shootout scene in the Nuke Labs is the Budweiser Brewery. And the same <laughs> setting was used in the 2009 Star Trek for various engineering areas of the Enterprise. What? Weird. I know. I guess huge vats are in demand for movies. But yeah, the action here is kind of fun at first because RoboCop is doing like some no-look shooting, which when I think of the action I want from RoboCop himself, I, I kind of like stuff like that. Like in the first RoboCop movie, using his target system, he man manages to shoot through a lady's dress and shoot some dude's dick off. And that kind of like robo-shooting is pretty cool. The other thing with RoboCop is because he's a robot, he's able to take uh, some beatings that other cops can't. And I like that stuff to some extent. I feel like it gets a little overblown. 
like later in the scene, Kane is driving a truck and Robocop's holding onto the side and Kane is like grinding Robocop against the wall, but because he's a robot, it doesn't like murder him. And I was like, mm, this is okay. Be right. There's some great squib work here. A lot of exit wounds. If you like exit wounds, this is your movie. But David, the bad dudes, there's an entire tractor trailer full of like all this nuke that Frank Miller was showing off, right? That nuke's got to be worth like millions of dollars, I guess. But when the cops show up, they're like, let's hop in another vehicle and get out of here. I don't, don't, don't you guys like this stuff? This got a little muddy too because they hop into a, a vehicle that they basically like stole. It, it's like an armored vehicle full of gold and money and they're going to take off in that and uh, that's not a good idea either. Also, you, it's a big compound. You should have fortified this thing by now. Like, stand your ground, guys. We see Hob here holding a case that could hold like a, about the size of like a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> but instead, it, he like folds it out into a gun. And I saw on web, some website, they're like, oh, that, that lunchbox gun? That was like a real gun they are working on. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. That's terrible. Oh, I'm glad. We, oh, thank God that kid was showing off how easy it is to use. Yeah. But then the cops go into the nuke lab and it's like, dee, dee. there's some ticking and it blows up, killing Frank Miller. David, where was the, I rewound the, the movie here. I, I didn't see a, a fucking bomb. I didn't see a bomb. I didn't really see a reason to blow it up. <laughs> like no. If, you know, if he was like luring everybody there to blow it up, that would be one thing. He just blew it up to destroy the evidence in himself. I mean, if Kane's whole thing was like, nuke is great. Everyone needs it. If some cops steal a nuke, it's like, all right, maybe they'll use the nuke. But, you know, as this sequence starts to drag on, as we get into more of the chase aspect of it, where it's Kane in the armor truck, Versus RoboCop standing on a motorcycle. I love watching him stand on that motorcycle. Yeah, real quick. When he first was on the motorcycle, I was like, oh, I guess RoboCop can't sit down on a motorcycle. He has to stand on it. But the next shot, he's sitting down. So when RoboCop was standing on the motorcycle, is he just hot-dogging it? How is this not like a Super Dave setup where it's gonna he's going to crash into a tunnel or something? I did not know why they didn't use that. <laughs> it definitely was like, why, why is RoboCop doing that? But David, the way he gets on this motorcycle is I guess he's clinging onto the van trying to track down Kane and Kane knocks him off and then he's lying on the ground, he being Robocop. And then some dudes on motorcycle come and they like use Robocop like a ramp. They just kind of like ramp off of him on their bikes. Are these motorcycle dudes part of the nuke gang? I don't think they were. I think they were just dudes who are like, oh shit, check it out, Robocop. Let me hit him with my motorcycle. <laughs> get this on video. We get, we get points for this. But then Robocop, yeah, he, he steals the bike from one of them and he tracks down Kane. And David, do you remember the scene in the movie, The Other Guys, the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg sure. movie, where The Rock and Samuel Jackson <laughs> jump off a building to their deaths? And somebody's <laughs> like, what did, why did they do that? What, did they think they're just going like, to land like. Iron Man or Black Widow, they you know, do they they think that wouldn't kill them? <laughs> Kane here playing chicken with Robocop felt like that. I was like, what did you expect, Kane? What did you think was gonna happen when you crash cars? Did you think he's like, oh, I'm Robocop and I will will and then I'll guess oh no, I was gonna die the whole time. Yeah, it's like you've you've spent this entire time going, This is an indestructible Robocop, but I think I got a chance. Yeah, so I'm I'm feeling okay about this movie. I like this part of it, even though it's like, uh, all right, RoboCop's taking in a bad guy. Done, I guess. Movie credits over. That's right. The theme from MASH, Mash? plays. Yes. <laughs> now, th this part is fun, but this is, you know, to repeat a question you asked yourself a, a little while ago, I'm asking myself, is this what I want out of a RoboCop movie? What do I want out of a RoboCop 2? Yeah, I still don't know at this point either. At this point, I'm still not sure we need a RoboCop 2. Yeah, but good news for Dr. Fax. There's a dying psycho in the hospital now named Kane, and he's got the perfect brain for her abomination. 
Hob and fellow Kane acolyte Angie, played by Galen Gorg, argue over whether to rescue Kane from the hospital, but Hob would rather make a play for Kane's nuke empire. While they argue, Dr. Fax flatlines Kane and steals his body, prep this man for surgery. Yeah, David, Kane's got the craziest brain since Charles Rain's brain from Pasture 57. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, I'll fuck off, dead or alive. You're fucking off with me. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't sound good. So Angie, an adult, is arguing with Hob. He's a kid. And for some reason, uh, she doesn't go, shut up, kid. And even he's like, come on, Angie. You, you better do what I say. I won't give you this nuke. And he holds like a uh, you know like a little plastic case of nuke up. And she's like, you know one needs it. Uh, just grab the nuke. He's a fucking kid. But her arms are so weak from nuke abuse. She she doesn't have the strength of, that she needs. But David, you don't even stick nuke in your arm. You, I think you stick in your neck or maybe anywhere. That's how good it is. I guess the idea here is that Hob is like, no, I'm, I'm making my play for being the new psycho kid. I mean, what, what do you think about Hob and this whole psycho kid thing? I'm still on board with it. I still love the psycho kid. This scene just plays stupid. It really is like a cartoon cat being led by a, a fish skeleton. It's just like kind of like hypnotized by it. It's like, yeah, it's a child. But again, of all the things this movie does right or well, it does establish Hob as a pretty formidable villain in his own right. So this plays well, decently enough for me. Yeah, and we get Dr. Fax looking at Kane's record. And one of the things he says is he was court-martialed during the Amazon War. Oh, David, a chilling vision of things to come. Poor Amazon. Jeez, Louise. Lord Bezos, I'm telling you right now, I am on your side, okay? <laughs> don't let, I don't care what these other people say, all right? I'm, I'm, you, you let me know who you want me to take out. Uh, but then we're also going to check in at the hospital where Kane is being held. He's clinging to life, and Fax is going to go check in on her new recruit. You know, she's going to go check out this this big, sweet, juicy brain. Mm. This is the only moment where I'm like, poor Kane. You know, he's stabilized in this bed. He's clinging to life. And then this doctor's like, oh, I'm going to make you a star. And then like uh, calls up on the phone. And is like, oh, our Kane has just flatlined. He's dead now. I'd be terrified if I was Kane. I wish they'd made more of that scene because this is like another moment where Dr. Fax is like, oh shit, she's like a, she's making a play for the touch. She'll do anything to get what she wants. I wanted to see her like Hans Landa style, like choke Kane to death or something like that. I did not want to see Hans Landa choke uh, Diane Kruger's character. I did not enjoy that. But I, I would enjoy seeing Tom Newton's character uh, uh, slowly murdered by a, a hospital pillow or something. Sure. But David, B.O. was warning. If you're not a fan of gross surgery sounds, this next scene is not for you. Because when the doctors uh, cut open uh, Kane, uh, we get some disgusting surgery noises. We also get a look of the top of his skull. And David, this was a full-on JFC Jesus fucking Christ moment for me. It was for me, too, and I'm not really sure why. I feel like after all these years and all these movies and special effects, I'd be somewhat numb to it. This got me. I'm right there with you. I don't get it. Something about the top of a skull, I think. Like, David, imagine taking like a, a bucket of popcorn. Like you get in a movie theater, dump out the popcorn, shoot some red 70s paint in the bucket and be like, look, the top of a skull. I would instantly be like, oh, sick. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but whatever the special effect lacked, my brain made it real. Well, it's under undiscovered territory. Like if they had lifted up that skull and it was just like a picture of Mr. Yuck, I'd be like, oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> but David, what do you think about these doctors? I, here's the thing about movies in general. It, you know, they always have, kind of have to fill it with some kind of small talk. God help me if I ever get, you know, if there's ever a malpractice suit that I'm involved in. Because when I go to court, I'm going to be like, were you guys small talking? Were you guys not focused on what you should be doing? Because I'm, I'm aggressively 
against small talk to a, to a fault. David, when my son was born, my wife had to have a C-section, and I was there in the room afterward when the doctors were, you know, closing the wound, I guess. And the doctors were talking about what kind of music they let their kids listen to, and it was a little weird. But honestly, they seem like good doctors, and she's fine, so, so great, I guess. I don't know, man. Don't you have shit to do? The operation was success. They were able to remove Kane's brain, and we know this because we see a glass jar full of bubbling liquid, and that jar contains the brain and some spinal nerves, I guess, of Kane, and also his fucking eyes. It's the sexy pan, like, straight out of Roadhouse. We're following up some legs, but instead of legs, it's a spine. It's in a jar of fluid, and then you get to the top of it, and there's eyes attached to a brain. Mac, this is my first markout moment. David... This is not a market moment for me, but this is the turning point of this movie. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, this whole time I'm like, do I need a RoboCop sequel? Is RoboCop 2 going to make itself worthwhile? As soon as the brain with the fucking eyes in the jar happen, this is where this movie's like, oh, now we're cooking, which is insane. It, it felt like it got back on the road because we were talking at the beginning of the movie that, you know, there's... There's aspects of this movie that show a lot of promise, and then it just veers. So this felt like for the first time in like a half hour, we're back on the road. David, did you get a sense that the brain and the eyes were not only still alive, but sort of taking in what it was seeing? 100%. I thought that was a sentient brain. Yeah, absolutely I did. And did you notice what the what the doctor and Dr. Fax were doing? No. Dr. Fax had Kane's fucking head. He had oh. his empty head. Like his, still with his face, minus the top of it and minus the bottom. And he's like pointing inside, like, here's where the brain was or whatever. And it's just like, you know, it's like a a, a dummy model of Tom Noonan's, uh, you know, cut up face, I guess. It was fucked up. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's a good therapy. That's what they should have done with, with Alex Murphy's be like, see, here's your, like, here's your dead body. You're no longer that. So Kane's brain is successfully removed. And like we mentioned, his eyes are salvaged as well because David, you never know when you're going to need eyes. You never know, Mac. Meanwhile, the mayor is holding a telethon to bail out the city from bankruptcy, but a rival bidder calls to bail out Detroit, much to the displeasure of the old man in OCP. Time to teach the mayor a lesson courtesy of a nuke-fueled RoboCop 2. David, who is the mystery bidder that's going to basically buy the city of Detroit? Who knows it's going to be Hob. <laughs> it's Hob, right? This little kid now, he's down to do business. How do you know? Because he's now he's wearing a fucking suit which I am on board with. Now, I will say, here's another punch-up. This telethon, in order to raise money for the city of Detroit, it's not going well. And we get a hard cut here to a, a dude who, uh, he's one of those extra bendable guys, contortionist? Mm -hmm. Yes. And he's also playing a violin, and the song is what? Uh, Mac, I believe that's a fiddle that he's playing, and I, I think he's playing Born to be Wild. Yeah, and the footage of him playing, it went on a little too long. But we do have this dumb telethon. And sure enough, Hob is going to fucking buy the city. The old man is not pleased. And their solution to it is like, well, how do we stop this deal from happening? Hey, we got this uh, RoboCop 2 we're working on. Uh, let's uh, send him out there to, uh, you know, uh, to, to make this problem go away. Yeah. And so this is going to be the first time we see Kane as the new RoboCop 2. And they've got a little monitor for his face. and. The first time we see Tom Noonan's, or the first time we see RoboCop 2 slash Kane's face, it is straight out of Lawnmower Man. It is so depressing to see that this is going to be the villain of the third act. Yeah, I wrote down, oh no, why is Kane's Robo screen animated? I do think that probably looked cool in 1990, though. 
So the mayor's team arrives at Kane's compound to meet with this mystery savior. It's Hob. The mayor is minutes away from closing a deal to let these criminals bail out Detroit when RoboCop 2 shows up to assassinate the mayor. The mayor escapes via water slide, but Hob and Angie aren't so lucky. RoboCop arrives at the compound too late. Angie's been turned into a ragdoll, and Hob bleeds out. My number one note here is, where is RoboCop? We haven't seen this dude in like 30 minutes. Yeah, he just appears. I had to like go back over my notes and be like, did I miss something? Was he on the case of something else? No, he just shows up. And the mayor's like, look, I'm fighting a war on crime here. If the citizens think I'm pro-crime, they're not going to want to elect me, and I need to get elected. And Hob here makes his pitch, and he's like, we don't like crime either. We're not trying to incite violence. We're just trying to sell a better product. In fact, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make Nuke cheaper. We're going to make it safer so people won't necessarily need to like steal to get it. Uh, they can just work their jobs or, or whatever. And, you know, basically he's saying like legalized drugs. Oh, no, David, is Hob making sense? <laughs> oh, no. Am I rooting for the villain of this movie? Yeah, absolutely. Like Hob is giving his pitch and he's talking about making it cha- making it cheaper, making it safer. And we're just like, this is... This is the origin of Hamsterdam. This is how The Wire got to this point where it's like, you know what? What if we just steered into the skid? David, in my notes, I wrote down season four of The Wire. <laughs> We're so close. Why don't we just do it already? Let's hear that friendship check-in noise again. There you go. <laughs> we did it. But before this deal to make a safer, better Detroit, which sounds pretty good, uh, <laughs> make it happen. Here comes RoboCop dude to fuck shit up. Yeah, so RoboCop 2 shows up, he lays waste to everybody, and then he finds Angie. And Angie, Mac, is surprisingly into this new version of Kane. Yeah, RoboCane extends his claw, and oh, first his little like monitor pops out, and he's got the, you know, <laughs> the dumb computer animated Kane face. And she's like, Kane? And he extends his Robo Claw and she touches it, and she's like, oh fuck. Yeah, I guess we can still fuck. And that makes him real mad, and he he murders her. She definitely, I mean, she was like, this is kind of weird at first, but we can make it work. She definitely was horny for this robot. Well, you know, it, she, where she messed up is she called him Kane. That's what he reacts to. So, like, he does not have the problem that Alex Murphy does. He is very okay with being RoboCop 2 and not Kane. And so, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, we can, we can make this work, Kane. And he's like, oh, I'm not Kane anymore. And he just grabs her by the head and just, like, swirl, like he's stirring a drink. It is something else. We should mention the method that Dr. Fax uses to like convince RoboCane to go out and do all this stuff. Is she's going to give RoboCane a, a whole bunch of nuke. RoboCane's like, yeah, I want some nuke. <laughs> In fact, a little like door pops up on its back and it's got these little pinchy claws. It's like, you know, that's where you stick the, the slide the little nuke canister. And she's like, uh-uh, you got to do this thing for me first. So this robot wants drugs. David, uh, I love this fucking robot. The stop motion animation here for RoboCop 2 or RoboCane, it is awesome. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like when I was a kid and I used to see like stop motion stuff like Ray Harryhausen or whatever, uh, I hated it. I just was like, God, this looks so fake. It's so cheesy. I know it's just a little puppet. Now as an adult thinking about like all the work that went into making these puppets and how good they do look, like I'm, I'm so on board for this. Like uh, that movie, Howard the Duck, terrible movie, right? But the stop motion animation in that film is like incredible. Like the aliens at the end are amazing. So yeah, I love this uh, RoboCane robot. Not not the CGI Tom Noonan face, but everything else about it. No, I I'm into it too. Like you know, like you said with the with the stop motion, going back to this movie being able to adapt. You know, it didn't quite have a really good looking Alex Murphy face, so it says okay, well it's a broken face and it's glitching out. So for something like this, you know, and we saw it with the first RoboCop. The stop motion kind of 
accentuates the movements of the robot. It makes sense that a mo- that a robot would move in a herky jerky fashion. So it 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 blends seamlessly, and and this movie does a really good job with that. So the mayor does escape, and I thought Hob escaped as well. But when Robocop finally fucking shows up, uh, he he opens up the door to the armored truck, and then there's Hob like covered in money. Like slowly, uh, I guess they didn't want to show a kid get shot. I, I understand that. Okay. In 1990, if you don't like the idea of kids getting shot, uh, don't don't come to the present day because my fucking God. So Hobb is dying and RoboCop here, you know, he's a robot cop, David, but he's also sensitive. And let's play a little bit of his audio. Lie still. I'm cold. You are going into shock. I will call for a medical emergency unit. Wait, no. David, I, I know I should not be making fun of RoboCop trying to comfort a dying child, but his, like, lie still, like, soft audio, I laughed out fucking loud. This scene is too sincere. It is so sincere, I was skeptical about it. I was like, okay, is Hob playing a trick? Does he mean this? Is he going to, like, pop up and, like, ha-ha, I got you, sucker? No, he dies. His last words are, I'm going to die. He fades away. And I thought, oh, shit, this is not fun. Yeah, I think that was almost kind of the point. You're right. Because like when he died and he's like, RoboCop's like, I'll go get help. And he's like, no, stay with me. It was like, oh, shit, this is like a kid dying. And yeah, it, uh, it definitely was like, uh, too real. Let's have him escape or, or reform or I don't know, something else. But RoboCop trying to use a comforting voice. David, in the movie Batman Begins, Christian Bale talks with that Batman voice. And at some point he says the word hub. Like, we got to stop the poison train before it reaches the hub and it just is not hub is not a word you could say in the batman voice uh robocop voice should not be like you know i'll comfort you in your moment if there's not a good robot voice robocop here trying to use a softer voice to comfort someone in their moment of death does not work but that is okay soothing voice activated <laughs> yeah exactly david hobb is dead and so is the mayor's deal to save detroit that's right so ocp is going to celebrate their victory with the unveiling of the civic centrum OCP's new headquarters for all things Detroit. The old man reveals his plans for the new Detroit, a real one-of-a-kind mega city. And RoboCop 2 is unveiled as the future of law enforcement. Not if Robo has anything to say about it. Robo and Robo 2 destroy a city block before Robo is able to remove Robo 2's brain and smash it on the pavement. This is all very satisfying. Yes, David. And in case you had any sort of uh, confusion around whether OCP, you know, the the corporate quote-unquote progress they represent, whether it's evil or not, Maybe the giant red, yellow, and black Nazi-style banners <laughs> that are part of their presentation, maybe that'll clear up that confusion. Well, how about the all-leather Stormtroopers uniforms that the event staff are wearing? <laughs> and so the mayor comes in, and there's a scene where the old man dunks on him for a little bit. I didn't get the point of the scene, really. But David here, the mayor's bragging about RoboCop and RoboCop 2. And he's like, oh, look at the new RoboCop 2. I guarantee you this unit will be in demand. And we're going to manufacture them and sell them in other cities. Whoa, here we go. What is this idea? Hold on. What if the, that was the whole fucking plot of RoboCop 2? Was just that RoboCop, the Alex Murphy version, was something that they mass produced and manufactured and they're in other cities and all those uh, RoboCops turn evil because you know they don't have uh, the human soul that Alex Murphy does. He's got to take them all down. Don't set up a better movie for me, RoboCop 2. Well, especially since like, you know, once we got into the period of phones and iPods and stuff like that, where planned obsolescence became a thing, I would not mind a movie that explores the idea of RoboCop being 
plan to be obsolete and then something else to take its place. Like there's a movie there in that struggle. Yeah. There's a lot of other ways they could have gone with this. And they kind of gave us a taste of it here. And I, I was mad at the movie for doing it, but that's okay. And here we go. The old man says again, we're going to make made in America mean something again, which is funny because Kane used that for drugs. The old man uses it here for completely unleashed capitalism. Just the fact that they're like, Oh, no more neighborhoods or whatever. But David, the old man, there's a moment where he holds up a canister of nuke and he's like, this is a canister of nuke. It used to be poison in our streets. Now it's going to be used as a fuel cell for the future generation of law enforcement. David, when he holds up this canister of nuke, the RoboCop 2 robot, RoboCane, as soon as he sees the drugs, he's like, Whoo! like he just, the robot wants those drugs so bad. This is my first mark out moment. I laughed for a full minute. The way that robot was like, drugs, like it just, it was so fucking funny. Like the idea is like, here's this cop and these are the drugs of the robot being like, oh, 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 give me, give me, give me. I just, I fucking loved it. We were, we were just a beat away from that robot developing a giant cartoon tongue to lick its chops when it saw this, when it saw the nuke. I'm right there with you. I didn't quite mark out, but the reaction that this robot had to nuke is awesome. I'll suck your dick for nuke. (laughs) Come on, old man. Just give that robot some drugs. That's what all robots want. They just want drugs. Robocop 2 putting on a showcase here because, you know, things are starting to get a little tense. Like everyone sort of notices that Robocop 2 is is freaking out at the sight of the the nuke. And then here comes Robocop 1 and he's got this unnecessarily large gun to take down Robocop 2. Yeah, and it's a full-on action set piece. Robo Throdo. Short for robot throwdown. And like, you know, everyone's starting to panic. The reporters are starting to flee. And Fax is there like, calm down, everybody. RoboCop 2 isn't even armed yet. RoboCop 2 takes the remote from Fax's hand, switches it to armed, and then crushes the remote. God damn it, that's great. That is fucking great. There's a scene here where the robots are fighting. And RoboCop 2, I guess his arms like shoot out like Inspector Gadget's hands do. And you get a shot of uh, Robo Kane's arm shooting out and you get, it cuts to a shot of a wall and then RoboCop 1 goes flying through it. Another markout moment for me. Okay. And David, this markout moment, there's no like buildup. There was no just like, oh, this worked perfectly because of this. Sometimes I mark out because shit just seems cool. And I saw that punch. I was like, that's fucking cool. I'm marking out. The more I talk about it, the more satisfied I am with this this whole third act because, like, there's also moments where RoboCop shows some cunning. Like, there's a moment where he sort of lures RoboCop 2 into an elevator shaft, not knowing that they're actually on top of an elevator. And so Robo cuts the cables and RoboCop 2 is going to drop with the elevator. But then RoboCop 2 kind of, you know, stretches its arms out, braces itself, and then starts climbing back up the elevator shaft. It, it, sufficiently spooky. I was very into that shot. Yeah, I'm loving the stop motion animation at this part. In fact, I'm so on board for this ending in this robot fight. I look like, wait, how long is this movie? It's like, uh, what's the runtime? One, An hour 57. An hour 57. This ending is so strong. I'm surprised these fucking movie executives didn't cut more out of the middle. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a great 90-minute movie in here, but there is definitely a, a lot uh, less frustrating, leaner, and more fun 90-minute movie in here. You're not going to say more by taking footage out, but you are going to make what you say better to take. But this fight scene also highlights like the dramatic disparity between RoboCop 1 and RoboCop 2. Because in RoboCop 1, our hero Robo, he's fighting to get revenge on the people who killed him. He was fighting against corporate control of this public service. But in RoboCop 2, our hero Robo, he's just fighting because cops fight criminals. 
Yeah, it's, you know, this movie really could have just been RoboCop 8. It's just the further adventures of RoboCop without really saying anything. I don't mind it in this instance, but it does, you know, this third act could have had a hell of a punch if it was following a stronger movie. For sure. And at some moment they crash like an armored vehicle into RoboCane and the cops are like, he's gonna, gonna get out of there any second. And he, RoboCane like pushes away the armored vehicle and then we get a shot of Fax and the look of pride and like love in her eyes when RoboCane is like shows that feat of strength and he stands revealed. The fact that like Fax loves him, that's so fucking weird. I love it. <laughs> it, it. It makes me wish that there was kind of a, God help me for saying this, but almost like an Oedipal love story between her and RoboCop 2. Like this is her creation. She saw this through. This is the culmination of her you know, scheming and everything. So maybe she is proud, but also kind of horny for it. Yeah, for sure. And again, not to crush out more on the RoboCane robot, but every time it moves, it makes, instead of like the hydraulic sound, it makes these like clink, clink, clink gear noises. I love that as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at some point, a RoboCop like hops on back of uh, RoboCane and they're fighting. And you can clearly see the RoboCop as a little stop motion puppet. I'm marked out again, David. I love the stop motion fight. It, it's a little too, or at least, you know, the addition of RoboCop to it is a little herky-jerky. It really kind of does feel like a Ken doll on top of sto- stop motion. I, I didn't quite mark out. I am enjoying it very much. I was about to flush this movie, and here I am marking out all over the place <laughs> like we're watching Hell in a Cell or Table Ladders and Chairs match. But David, then RoboCop, he does rip out RoboCane's brain, and he smashes it on the ground, and then he goes, nuh not enough. And then he takes his fist, and he smashes, gives the brain a double smash. I don't know why I did it, but uh, good on you, RoboCop. Got to make sure it's dead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a RoboCane is defeated, and now we're just picking up the pieces. Now we're just surveying the damage, and the old man is overseeing the damage caused by RoboCop 2 and thinks this will be a bad look for OCP. But Johnson has a brilliant idea to set up Dr. Fax to take the fall. Go men! Lewis doesn't like that the old man is getting away for the second movie in a row, but RoboCop encourages Lewis to have patience. After all, we're only human. Boo! RoboCop, kill him! Fucking shoot him, <laughs> RoboCop! God damn it. This is... Uh, there's there's two moments in this movie that felt like, oh, okay, Irvin Kirshner directed this. One early on in the movie when RoboCop loses his hand, and then this moment, because it kind of does feel like the Empire Strikes Back, where you're like, well, come back for the third movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But the, all the gross stuff in this movie, I was like, wait... I didn't expect this from the director of A Man Called Horse. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so the old man is worried. He's like, there's there's going to be indictments. Are there going to be criminal charges against me? And he seems a little uh, worried. And Johnson's like, hey, uh, not if we don't uh, blame your girlfriend. She's the one who actually chose the brain. And the old man seems to be on board with this idea. And Dr. Fax comes up. And she's like, oh, I'm so worried. And the old man hugs her. And he turns around to Johnson. He's like, hey, you know that thing we were talking about? Get right on it. And just the idea of like, oh, she wants relationship. I'm afraid of commitment. Uh, arrest my girlfriend, please. Like it just, it was so stupid, but I kind of liked how terrible it was. It was so stupid. It was so slimy. It was perfect. I, I wrote my notes. I was like, am I rooting for the old man in this movie? Because the satisfaction I felt when they're like devising this plan, it's like, you know, you don't have to go to jail. We can set someone up. I was like. Hell yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, why am I saying hell yeah to this? But yeah, he went full evil. In fact, on his way exiting the building and the press are like harassing him for a quote, he steps over a dead body. (laughs) Or they might actually just be not dead, just like wounded, without even like looking down at it. It's just so great. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping the sequel, RoboCop 3, would be Dr. Fax's Revenge, but I think it has uh, Japanese cyborgs in it instead. Neat. But David, uh, RoboCop's dumb final line, like, hey, it's okay if corporations uh, never face repercussions and they own us all and, and they get away scot-free every time and there's no check on the powerful. <laughs> Who cares? Because we're only human. <laughs> RoboCop 2. Pobody's perfect. Yep, David, that was RoboCop 2. So let's uh, let's look at the big board. How many markout moments did you have? How many moms? I had one. I love seeing those eyes on the brain. How about you? I believe I had three. David, is this someone's favorite movie? I think contrarians. I think people who just like getting into arguments. You know what? I think this probably does have a cult following. I think people like this, and because they like this, they'll sort of defend it more. I could see that happening. Look, I had more fun in this movie than I thought I would. But if this is your favorite movie, stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> No, we can talk about it, but I, I'd be surprised if it's someone's favorite movie. All right, David, time for punch-ups. David, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? Uh, my first one, my biggest one, we've already gone over. I think restructuring this movie could go a long way. I think having an arc that is satisfying and tells a story, much in the tradition of the first RoboCop. You know, as much trouble as I have with the first RoboCop, I do recognize it for its brilliance, and this movie is lacking in that same sense of brilliance, but I think it's very easy uh, to recover. Mm -hmm. My other notes, a lot less serious. Uh, my first one, give Hob like a costume or a uniform. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing him in like a Little League uniform or like a kind of a Little Lord Fauntleroy kind of velvet suit, just something to like really hammer home, I'm a kid, you're not going to take me seriously, and that's what's going to get you killed. Yeah, we already got like a uh, rockabilly bad guy. Let's have a little fancy lad bad kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a giant lolly that turns into a knife. Hell yeah. My third note, you've got Tom Noonan. You know, we've had our, we have our troubles with him throughout this movie. I still think he's a good actor. I still think, you know, not in this movie. This movie doesn't call for it. But what if this movie did? You know, because instead of having a, a lawnmower man type effect on a screen, how about you have Tom Noonan's head there? How about you have him emoting? How about you have him like kind of turn into the same way Alfred Merlina went from Dr. Octavius to Dr. Ock, you know, where, you know, he is mild mannered, but then that same actor can play psychotic and can play up to 11. I thought that would have been very satisfying. Yeah, I mean, the best villains do not think they're villains, right? They think they're the heroes of the story. I think the way that Kane looked at Nuke, you know, a Nuke for every mood as a way to help us deal with the crushing weight of society. I mean, there there was an argument he could have been made there, but I feel like the kid Hob made the best case for uh, legalizing drugs or at least nuke or, or what have you. David, my first punch up is the team from RoboCop 2 needs to look at RoboCop 1 and be like, what made this movie work? Put that in this movie. And what I'm talking about, David, is dick shots. <laughs> I want more dick shots, especially in the beginning when the bad guys are like robbing the gun store and they got the beret and the rocket launcher. Pep, 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 pep. Just crotch shot, crotch shot. Just bloody, bloody open ball sacks, leaking balls. That's what I want. Uh, uh, more hot tub sex. I think I said that. And also, yes. What if RoboCop 2 was just about the mass manufacture of the Alex Murphy RoboCop Generation 1 uh, unit, right? Like other police departments, other cities get RoboCop. You know, maybe it's like more tailored to the city. Like, you know, they, they show RoboCop up in Canada and he's like, you're under arrest, hoser, or something. <laughs> or, you know, the RoboCop goes to Philly and he's like, uh, stop stealing Nim hubcaps. I, I, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. He, no, he arrests somebody for talking bad about Nim Eggles. All right, David, please follow me to the uh, Punch Mountain video store. 
which thankfully has not been rated by new kids yet. Uh, David, we have three copies of RoboCop 2. We splurged. And since the Punch Mountain Video Store is an all-action movie video store, what subsections of action would you stock this movie in? Okay, first one's going to go franchises and sequels. That's an easy one. So when you say that, there'll be like a franchise section and all the RoboCop movies will be together? Right, yes. Okay, sorry. Uh, and then the second one's going to go in dystopian action along with, I believe it was Judge Dredd that went in there? Sure. Let's say, yeah. Third one's going to be cult. Uh, the more I talk about it, the more we react to the third act. The more I'll bet this does have a passionate fan base or it does bring in the kind of audience that would like to have a little something contrarian, I think this would be at home in a cult shelf. Yeah, I think that midnight movie cult section is a good place for RoboCop 2. That sounds good to me. All right, Dave, another word from on high. We need to reveal the position of RoboCop 2 on Punch Mountain, a.k.a. the definitive ranking of action movies. Just to remind people at the summit right now, 1, 2, and 3, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, and The Matrix. At the base of the mountain, at 22 through 24, Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure. And at the Visitor's Center, which is right next to the pebble trash can that got outside, which some kids did not successfully throw away their ice cream. So there's like those little ice cream cups with a wooden spoon. It's like melting all over the top because they threw it in the ashtray part of the trash can. You know what mm. I'm talking about? Yeah, oh, it's just a course. fucking mess. That's the movie Chappie. That's <laughs> where that is located. David, before we get the mountain's judgment, where would you personally rank this movie? You know, my initial thought was like the lower half of the mountain, but I wonder how much of that is punishing this movie for not living up to the excellence of the first movie. Interesting. The first movie did a lot. I mean, it was violent. It was action-y, but it also said a surprising amount. So to follow in those footsteps and to not accomplish what the first one did, that left me with a bad taste in my mouth. But that's not the movie's fault. As, as something being submitted for consideration on the mountain, I don't know if that should be held against it. What it is is a bit incomplete. What it is is a bit clunky. Uh, it's backloaded. You know, the the third act is very satisfying, but you have to get through the first two acts to get to it. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see where it ends up. What about, what about you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, same thing. At the beginning of this movie, I was like, look out, Deadly Prey. Like, here comes a new bunkmate for you. But then the second half, once I saw those eyes in the jar, this thing really started cooking. So, yeah, I don't know where it's going to end up either, but it'll be interesting. Oh, shit, David. Take some nuke real quick because here come some falling rocks. The rocks are tumbling off. The golden letters are appearing, revealing the name Robocop in its position on the mountain, and it clocks in at number 20. So it is now 18 The Driver, 19 Dirty Dozen, 20 Robocop 2, followed by Pitch Black and Charlie's Angels. Man, if a movie this fun ranks that low on the mountain, I got to say this podcast got some legs. We are doing something right if number 20 is a hoot. Yeah, I think we're okay. I haven't seen my family in a month, but I got a good feeling about this podcast. <laughs> David, do you hear that noise? Oh, shoot. Someone's taking Nuke next door. No, David, that's not the Nuke horn. That's the horn calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes. We also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting Stand With Trans. Stand With Trans offers resources for transgender youth and the parents of transgender individuals, whether it's a support group or a physician. Stand With Trans focuses on what the community needs by expanding support group offerings to community education and youth workshops. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Stand With Trans. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to the donation, and hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. More information on Stand With Trans or to donate directly to them, visit StandWithTrans.org. 
And that'll do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain, or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, it's an inventory episode. Mac and I will be recapping the movies we watched for episodes 13 through 24, tying up some loose threads, and starting some new ones. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.